Hi, I am Scott Allen Perry, not Doug Jones. I am a fallen superhero. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We will tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From behind the beaded curtain, actually made from recycled packing popcorn in the Area 51 portable stack bar, it's clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 377, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with very few reasons left to do much of anything, I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, the rest of our gang. And for a change, for a very rare change, we all seem to be here tonight. Joining us from the Peabody Time Tunnel, it's our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. No. No, it kind of is. And she's back from the Dank Dungeons reference room, found behind the southwest entrance of the former Chuck Full of Nuts reference library building at Cyborg University's satellite campus in Devil's Tower, Vermont. Welcome back, Cyber Zombrarian. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're going for one and two word answers, aren't we? Okay. Yes. And of course, the man who was recently heard to say, I wish I knew the difference between marshmallow fluff and caulking compound. And, uh, hey, maybe don't eat that sandwich. It's a man who tried to print coins with his 3D printer just to prove a point. He's our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, Awake by Java. I have arrived, and I am you here, have. and I will be here for the foreseeable future. Well, we have missed you for the past couple of weeks. And uh, what's been going on with game playing and or 3D printering? Uh, no, no game playing. I've been very busy. We put on a TED conference here. Cool. I've been doing that. You've been TEDing. I've been TEDing. TEDing is an interesting activity. It was fun. <laughs> I can see why was... it wouldn't be fun on well, in a well, long-term well, way. What was the theme behind? Was Resurgence. Resurgence. Wow. Okay, that sounds like a, a setting on a washing machine, but that's okay. Yeah, it's for getting out those tough stains. Those tough technical stains, gotcha. We have two guests tonight uh, joining us from uh, somewhere, and I don't know actually where either of these guys are. Uh, Griffin S. is here to talk tonight. Griff, this is your fourth time on the show. My God. I'm going to try to break a record someday. Maybe not this one, but some record. One more, and you're in the Five Timers Club. So, you're something to look forward to. And our second guest tonight, um, an actress, a showrunner, a voice actor, and a comic book writer all walk into a bar. Well, tonight, that's one person. And I'd like to welcome to the show the multi-talented writer of Darby Pop's Bruce Lee comic, Nicole Dubuque. Nicole, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, you know, it, it's, you know, when, when the guys over at Darby Pop said you were available, I said, that's great, because we had talked about the Bruce Lee comic uh, when it first started up. Now, how did, how did you end up getting involved with the Bruce Lee comic, considering you've been kind of in the entertainment industry since you were nine or ten as a child actor? Yeah, I've been acting for a while, um, but I, I took time off when I was in high school, and then I kind of went on the writing track. But um, the the way I got this comic was actually through a guy named Jeff Klein, um, who runs Darby Pop, and I worked on some shows with him. I think we met on Dragon Tales, um, but later on did Jackie Chan Adventures and then Transformers Prime, and um, I developed Rescue Bots with him, that, that Transformers show. So when he offered me the chance to write one of his comics, I was totally on board. I've, I've only done one comic before this. It was just... Um, a story in the Flash Annual. So I love writing for comics. It was great to get another chance to do that. So what was 
the research like in putting this together? Because I'm guessing you're not, I, I, I mean, I've looked at your biography. I see nothing about martial arts in it. That is true. Um, <laughs> my, my, my experience with martial arts is uh, whenever I have to write a fight scene, I, uh, I choreograph things in my room. So it's very amusing to watch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wouldn't put money on me in a fight. Um, I, my research involved uh, me uh, sitting down with my dad and watching a lot of films, which was fantastic for both of us. Um, and it was really fun. And I think probably Enter the Dragon is my favorite Bruce Lee movie. I ended up watching that a couple of times. Um, but yeah. A lot of watching. <laughs> so, was was there a lot of direction in putting this together, or w were there story arcs already in place, or did you just come up with the concept based on what Jeff gave you? So, um, there's a comic series called Rise of the Dragon. That's um, basically where all these characters are from. But they want to do uh, Darby Pop wanted to do a one off. And so they kind of pitched me the idea of um, kind of a riff on After Hours, that movie. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be a lot of fun. So this one's called Walk of the Dragon. And if you look at the geography, even of the names, you can tell like one's ascending and one's kind of like just traveling forward. So that's like really a side story. Um, and I like the idea of how you think you're going from A to B and then you actually end up taking like circles and S's and end up somewhere entirely different, but that's where you should be. Um, so that's kind of... Kind of what I leaned into when I was writing this thing. So, Walk of the Dragon is misleading because it says number one. I'm assuming there are more coming. Yeah, I think it's just like their one, number one side off, uh, or one off rather, side story. Combine those words, side off. I think I got a new uh. word. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, we make up shit all the time. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, they might have more planned. I'm not sure. I hope so. So, I mean, you and, and Jeff, and Jeff's been on the show a couple of times, and basically we talked animation forever oh, uh, awesome. because that's what Jeff does. <laughs> and uh, how did you two actually meet? Because you left Yale with a, uh, a degree in pre-med. I did, yes. Um, English and pre-med, so I figured I could write, I don't know, house scripts or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just like in the story, right, you think you're going one way and you go somewhere else and it turns out to be the good way. Um, out of school, I did not know what I wanted to do. So I actually worked at a dot com in San Francisco for about six months until we all got our pink slips um, <laughs> because that was during the big boom and bust. Um, and then I did medical billing and just wrote scripts on the side and uh, kind of got my first big break when I met some guys from Disney um, who had just developed a show, Kim Possible. And so they gave me the Bible of the show and they said, go ahead, write a script. And if we get picked up, we'll come back to you and see what you got. So I took a year just basically studying as many scripts as I could and writing a bunch. And when Kim Possible did in fact get picked up, they gave me a, a job on the show and I've been writing animation since. What's the difference between, <laughs> what's the difference between writing? Okay, and as odd as that sounds, you're writing in two different mediums. One is a, a, a non-moving medium and the other one is animation. Is there a difference in, in writing for comic books and writing for film or writing for animation? Absolutely. Um, and I think I'm still kind of learning the style of comic books because you really have to kind of take a freeze frame of an animated show and then that tells the story. So it's really about distilling all that um, and choosing uh, an image that will show all that, if that makes any sense. Um, it's, so it's like hitting pause at the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, I was super assisted by, um, talented Brandon McKinney in the artwork on this and, and Zach Atkinson, cause you know, they just, the lines, um, of Bruce Lee's motion. This is a, this is a thing when I was watching these movies, I was pressing pause a lot because I was trying to figure out some of the fight sequences. Um, and just the lines in his body and these poses he strikes are so dynamic. I think, um, they're perfect for a comic book because that is that instant of motion and storytelling captured. Yeah. And Brandon, I think did, did an incredible job of, uh, in looking at the pictures of really capturing that essence of what Bruce Lee brought to film. Absolutely. I will admit I, I may have made a loud E noise when I saw the roughs because they were so good. <laughs> so, what did you, what did, you said, 
very weird from my perspective because sometimes when I talk to comic book writers, uh, they write or they write differently than than uh, short story writers and novel writers and the rest of it. But you're like all over the place writing for all these different mediums. So when you're writing the comic book, what's your process in doing that? So because I've worked with Jeff in animation for so long, he kind of let me slide a little bit and write it almost as animation. I, I premised it out and did an outline um, calling out what would be happening on each page. And then when I wrote it, I wrote it in script format with the knowledge that, you know, one scene had to be broken into panels. Um, so, yeah, I, it's actually I wrote it in final draft like I normally write my scripts. Um, <laughs> so I really appreciated that. So that, 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 that's where your comfort zone was in putting this together. Exactly. And I think that kind of having that security blanket made it a little easier for me. It, it's interesting in that novelists and, and short story writers tend to write in terms of uh, a very solitary uh, profession. Uh, they find they have their spot and they have their time and they have their place and that's where they write and, and they have their own way of doing it. With comic books, and but especially with animation and, and with uh, the stuff that you've done, you don't have that uh, that kind of ability to do that, do you? Or maybe you do, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, on the shows I've been in lately, I've been in offices, so we've had writing rooms and we've broken stories together, um, which is very different when you're freelancing a show. And yeah, you just you go to Starbucks and those people become your coworkers as you're writing there every day. <laughs> <laughs> which do you find to be better? Which do you find to be better for you, actually? That's funny. Um, I like both for different reasons. So, you know, right now um, on the show I'm on, I have a fantastic writer's room and it really helps build out the show when everyone's just talking about the show and kind of living it together. But I still carve out time during the day to go away by myself for an hour just to have that one-on-one -on -one time when I know no one's going to knock on my door to just, you know, get the creative flow on the page. I think you need both. So what's the show that you're working on now? So I just started um, on a show for Disney Junior called The Rocketeer based on that comic and the movie. Nice. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited. I developed it um, for a couple of years and just got the green light about a month ago. So pretty excited. So how, how because this is a part of the business I don't know anything about, how does this start with you developed it? Did, did they come to you and go, we're thinking about doing something with this? Yep, that's exactly it. Like for Transformers Rescue Bots, they had four toys and a title and said, okay, make a show with this. And so on The Rocketeer, they came to you with Dave Stevens' comic and said, okay, make a show with this. And I'm like, I already love The Rocketeer, so you have come to the right person. And uh, yeah. So is there any one time when you're working on two or three shows at the same time? Yes, a lot of times. Um, and you just got to keep your jargon straight, you know. Keep your ponies out of your Transformers, unless you're doing a crossover. I don't know. <laughs> My little Transformer ponies? Exactly. Wow. No, that would just be way too weird. Pinky Prime. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a difference in working for Disney than working for DC and Warner Brothers? Yeah, I think each studio kind of has its own flavor um, and style. Um, and there's things to like about each of them, you know? And, I mean, I can see... Um, Warner from where I am right now and I'm at my, my place at Disney. I mean, we're all so close here in Burbank. Animation's just like this one little village. So you've got all this stuff going on right now and Jeff Klein has kind of been working with you and beside you for a while now in a bunch of different projects. Yes, yes. And, and hanging out. Um, next time you talk to him, you have to ask him about our... Uh, our trips to Vegas. We get a bunch of animation writers and go see um, old acts together. It's very fun. Animation people go to Vegas. Yep. That sounds like a great movie. Right? Sounds like the Highlight that part show. four. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you've got this going on now. You've got the new, new show that you're working on right now. You've got the Darby Pop. Uh, did you ever work with uh, Shannon Lee? during the process of putting Walk of the Dragon together? 
I did. I, she was uh, instrumental throughout and in kind of guiding me and giving notes and I could bounce ideas off of her, um, which is really great. It can really you explain great. to the listeners who Shannon is? Shannon is Bruce's daughter um, and kind of kind of the caretaker and, and curator of everything that Bruce has offered the world. And I got to kind of talk about some of his philosophies in our emails back and forth, because that was another thing is um, these comics kind of use some of his philosophies. And he's a fantastic writer. If you get a chance to look up his quotes, they're almost like poetry. And he wrote poetry, too. Um, and that kind of gave the story a soul. Um, so I appreciate having Shannon to kind of, you know, give me the go ahead on that, give her blessing to it. Um, yeah, so I, it was amazing to be able to talk to her. Now, Shannon is also the chairman of the board of directors of the Bruce Lee Foundation, which is a charity organization. Um, they do scholarships uh, and, and education. And uh, did you get involved with that at all? You know, I haven't, but I would love to be involved. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what kind of fundraisers they do, um, but I would be happy to be involved in any way I can. It just seems like this is kind of uh, the whole uh, Bruce Lee project is kind of a passion project for a whole bunch of people. Right, yeah. And there's um, there's a panel in the book, too, where it it's kind of a moment where, where Bruce ends up going into um, a convention kind of setting and realizes how many people he's touched. And... Um, to me, that was kind of like part of this love letter. It's just like, you know, he has really done so much good for the world and, and people still hold him in their hearts, you know? It really shows the uh, the artwork, the story, uh, the way it all kind of flows together. It's just a really beautiful story. It's well put together. It's well written. And uh, for Keep those talking. Of us, I'm liking this. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of us who remember back to when Bruce Lee was alive, and I would be probably the only person here. Um, it captures an essence that uh, a lot of other Bruce Lee themed things have never done. So it's a, it's a really nice job. Uh, Nicole, uh, it was a wonderful pleasure to have you on the show to talk about this and, and talk about My Little Ponies and, and uh, Transformers and, and Rocketeers. Well, thank you so much for having me and for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining us. You're free to hang around or run, whichever you prefer, as we <laughs> shift the focus from the West Coast to the East Coast and bring in Griffin S. Griffin, welcome back, my friend. So you, you invite me on the show for my fourth time and you have me follow someone who I can't possibly outshine or compete with. <laughs> that is amazingly <laughs> Well played. <laughs> well, thanks. I hope you're. I hope you're very discomforted right now. That's what you get for the fourth time. I mean, you you just yeah, wait no. till hap what happens for the fifth time, man. You, <laughs> you you might want to sit down for that one. To be no, fair, you've got a cooler name. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I just I was listening to all that with just like so much envy and like just keeping my mute button on so I didn't jump in and be like, oh my god, the Rocketeer, tell me more about that. <sighs> <laughs> Which you could have done, and you know it because you've done it before. No, I thought about it. I almost did it, but did she had such a. <laughs> no, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that guy who like interrupts. <laughs> you didn't want to be that guy whose name is Griffin S. But in any case, <laughs> Griffin is the me. the factum factotum behind shadedareas.com, kind of his little playground. Um, if you've been to conventions in the Northeast. And actually, all up and down the East Coast, you've seen him. You know him. He's the guy with the sign that says, I can draw anything in his booth. And he's had to prove that on more than one occasion. A lot of awkward occasions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Griffin is here to talk about a couple of things. The first thing is his first inclusion into an anthology, My yes. Family 2, as a... A writer. Which so, is, Griffin, let's talk about that for just a second. How did you get involved in that project? Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> when you invited me, I thought you had made a mistake and you had meant to invite George, but then you made it clear that you did want me to do the thing. And I have a ton of experience with like article writing and psychology um, research and writing. And I've done a lot of verbal storytelling and like won a bunch of moth contests and stuff like that. So switching to written fiction uh, it was probably the hardest thing I had to adapt to in that amount of time, but, like, now I'm working on a novel as well. So not only was my, like, second short story ever now going into an anthology that will be published, but I already have a 120k word manuscript written and is in the edited phase. I'm just watching that word count drop as I pull things out that I didn't need. So... <laughs> <laughs> this is You've triggered an entire effect that I don't think anyone could have predicted at that exact time. I'm liking it. <laughs> And it's, it's funny because you, uh, if people don't know this, and George O'Connor are partners on a number of different ventures. Yeah. So and much. I've, I've known you guys for, God, almost 10 years now? Yeah, because Boston would have started back in, what, 2008? Was that the first year? I think so. And, and yeah. was that the year 664 came out? Yeah, that's when George was, he jumped right in on the first year of. Uh, Boston Comic Con to start promoting that, and I was just we there drawing little stupid we sketches. We were both buddies, neighbors yeah. at that point. And, and I tell uh, this story every time we bring it up, but Griffin, Griffin saved my life, and or saved me from punching somebody in the face, which is pretty much the same thing. Oh my god, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, the other yeah. reputation I have at conventions is just like, like people run to my table whenever a creepy white dude is being creepy around them, and then that person follows them <laughs> to my table, and they regret it for every second of the rest of their time there. I think you just really coldly looked at him and said, she said that it's time for you to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I have never seen a late teen, a boy in his late teens run so fast. I, It's not quite teacher voice, but like I never... I don't have a temper, so I've spent so much time manifesting this ability to sound really peeved in a really specific way to get people to take me seriously that, like, now it's turned into this really dark tone that, like, freaks people out. I was <laughs> a little scared. Yeah. You were backing me up, so. <laughs> like, nothing no, but... makes me happier than someone who only knows me in a jovial perspective, and I get to just be like, and they're like, oh, wait, you, you go evil? I'm like, oh, hold on. <clears throat> <laughs> don't knock it the fuck off right now i there will spend the rest of my life ruining the rest of yours <laughs> and then their face melts and it's great and they run away and then we sit and giggle for half an hour <laughs> which is ridiculous yep i'm just like i was bluffing i didn't have anything to follow that with <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on the first edition of my peculiar family i approached george to do it and oh. he, he did volume one, but it was under the protest of, I write comic books. I don't write stories. Mm. And when I was done laughing at him, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he produced an incredible story. But I knew that when I approached you for volume two, that we were going to have the same issue. Yeah. And we got it. Uh, so, no, it was... So Good for me. Really good for me. Trying to put that together. Yeah. It was... It's such a weird thing. Like, in verbal storytelling, it's so much of a focus of just hitting the right cadence and tones and inflections while pointing out what happened to who. Whereas, for writing any sort of actual fictional novel, you have to have such focus on character drive and arc and, like giving a reason for every action. You can't just hit the punchline and hope that it like covers up the, the moments because you don't have a crowd there to, to pull from. When I was talking to the editors, when we started getting the, the stories in and I was shuffling them off to the editors, their big question was, you have a number of seasoned writers here who are used to having editors feedback. You also have a number of not seasoned editors here, <laughs> not seasoned writers here, who have never dealt with an editor before. Are they going to be okay with this? <laughs> and I, I thought about it carefully and I went, I don't think we've got a problem with anybody. And, and how did that feel for you when, when that draft came back and they went, well, I feel like I'm back in high school English class. I, 
I tend to really, I always, so being in, put in charge of projects to the point where I ended up starting my own thing where I'm in charge, uh, the, the Shaded Areas Collective, um, it just, it really primed me for the idea of trusting the people who are, who are there to do a specific thing. Um, so when the editors came back with edits, I was like, yes, anything you said, I approve of. Like, I, I trust you guys entirely. I looked it all over. There was nothing blatantly out of sync. Like, go for it. Like, if, if I know someone is an editor and that's their job and that's what they're there for, their job is to take what I wrote and make it better. And if that's how they saw that happening, then I completely trusted it. The funny part for me was in writing the forward for the book. And Stacy said to me, you're sending that to me, aren't you, for editing? <laughs> and I went, shit, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and, it, and it came back with, I had at one point made up a word, and in parens go, I think that's a word. If it isn't, it should be. And underneath <laughs> it in big red letters was, editor's note, it's not. I just had a thing the other day where I was posting the uh, the pitch line for my um, novel and then like talking to other people about the feedback. And in the post I used, I don't remember what the word was, but I made it up and I'm like, I'm a writer now. I can legally make up words that tell us words. There's a great power in doing that, but with great power comes great reprehensibility. So you have to be careful. <laughs> Did you just make that one up? Was that part of the point? Never mind. Uh, no, never mind. If I did, I'm not saying. That's so, as one of the uh, Kickstarter rewards, yes, is the hey, I can draw anything reward. I totally just updated my website to make sure that it was plugged and like outlined there clearly, so that anyone could go, uh, if, whether they showed up at my site or the Kickstarter, they would know very cleanly that uh, I am doing the thing. But um, oh. yeah. I will so let's, do talk, a, let's talk about that Griffin reward there. So I mean, I, I have that, you've had that I've, I've seen that silly sign of yours up at <laughs> every convention we've been at together for like 10 years. Yeah, it's changed. It's had a couple incarnations, but the root of it, like it started as I will draw anything you can imagine, um, which then people got mad if I declined um, because of the technicality <laughs> of the wording. Um, so when somebody showed up and they were like, I want this anime character and I want her in this pose. And there's like a, for a 19 year old white guy, like taking his coat off and sprawling across the anime Boston floor to show me this lewd, disgusting <laughs> nonsense. And I was like, get the fuck up and leave. Um, <laughs> and then he got really angry. So I changed it to, to, I can try to, <laughs> Not necessarily will, but can. Yes. And since then, I've had a few moments of turning people away. But usually they, like, bounce back with some revised version where I'm like, okay, no, make it PG-13 and we'll figure it out. But <laughs> So what, so far, what are the oddest things that people have come up with over the years? The best one ever so far. And this I still have this on, like, the early eight stage of my Instagram. There is an illustration that somebody wanted where they requested Shrek standing on a rock in the middle of the ocean with hair and a body built like Fabio's, holding a kite shield and a sword, fighting off a red kraken. And I am still super proud of that one, even though it was, like, much earlier in my technique phase. So, like, I could probably do it better now, but, like, I'm still just super pleased with the way I executed that one, because that was nonsense and should never have happened. <laughs> so if somebody grabs that reward from the My Peculiar Family 2 mm -hmm. uh, Kickstarter, what do they get? They will get a uh, large postcard, postcard size, so like a six by eight. Um, they can have a maximum of two subjects, three if we're talking like two animals or something small. Um, but they can give me any scenario, any crossover, any... Um, they, it could be them with a character, them as a character, their pet with, uh, you know, Cringer from uh, He-Man. Like, whatever you want. Just give me a scenario and I will ask you the right questions. Typically the right questions just boil down to a few key factors and then... What emotion do you want shown and what emotion do you want the viewer to feel? Because that tends to get the person nicely focused on the feeling they get and they stop getting like tied up in the technicalities of what they want. So it makes the, uh, them more appreciative of the outcome. Have you ever, I know you've turned down a couple of them and you, no, we're not doing that. Thanks. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But have you ever been totally stumped in putting something together? Um, there's been times where people have gotten like abstract to trick me. And it's literally just, so I always explain it when somebody's like, oh, you can draw anything I can imagine, because I can imagine a lot. And I'm always like, well, as long as I can get the words out of you, then yes, I can put it on paper. <laughs> um, and then they'll be like, well, what if I wanted you to draw infinity? I'm like, well, I can't get those words out of you. So no, that's your limitation, really. <laughs> but no, as long as I can get an explanation, I haven't had a massive issue yet. So far, I've had one person who... Like, they asked for a super simple thing. It was actually just uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequels. And they just wanted them in a nice little, like, arms crossed back-to-back pose. And then they got mad at me because of... I don't even know. Like, maybe they... I think they thought they were going to have color included. And after this, I think I started including color just so it wouldn't be a discussion anymore. Um, But, like, I hadn't done it in color. And instead of just letting me do the colors, they were like, well, we don't want it anymore. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what just happened. But that was weird. (laughs) And I still have it. <laughs> oh, good lord. So, as My Peculiar Family 2 Celebrations yes. is uh, going to Kickstarter, um, you and George have another project. Yes. It goes to Kickstarter be... in, two, in a week and a half. Yeah, it'll be launching just at the end of yours. Like, I think there's like a three-day overlap, but I think we're launching on the 10th as our current plan. Right, Um, and ours ends on the 14th. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, But yeah, George and I, we did a series of comics that were all ages called Baby. They were kind of the uh, palate cleanser after the Healed series, which was all dark and psychologically damaging. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to do something fun. So... I actually inherited that project because he had another artist originally who was working on it and they couldn't keep up with the schedule. So then I got called in. Actually, that kind of happened the same way with Healed. I tend to get a lot of my projects because of the fact that people know they can rely on me and somebody else drops the ball. Isn't that scary? <laughs> Isn't that scary? Because then right? you go, damn, I'm reliable. Yeah. Like, when did I become the adult in the room? That is not acceptable. Because <laughs> I know how weird and morally flexible I am. I should not actually be in charge of anything. Uh, yeah, you're pretty much right on that one. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, George and I, we wanted to do something more family-friendly that, you know, all ages could enjoy. So we did a baby sea monster got separated from its mom. And it's that story with an overlay of a conflict between a cryptozoologist who's trying to capture the baby for their own fame and fortune and a, like, retiring cop who's trying to figure out if he wants to risk the, the cliche near-death experience of his last day on the force with this massive tragedy just so he can have that heroic moment that he's always wanted. Um, so it's this weird... George did a good job of, like, layering the three narratives together, and, you know, I did what I hoped was a good job of making a nice, more colorful and, and friendly uh, set of images, especially making the baby sea monster based off a corgi puppy, which was my most brilliant millisecond of genius in that project. (laughs) You had one. No, that was good. Yeah, that was, that was, that made me really happy. Um, But yeah, so we were, I just did the cover and George just sent it back. So I'm going to be working on some graphics tonight for it, but uh, we're really looking forward to finally releasing it as a trade with all like the sketches and the internal like goings on and some notes and scripts and, you know, all the rewards that we're putting together for it. It's going to be a good time. So hopefully, once everyone's gotten another paycheck after they funded My Peculiar Family 2, they'll take some of that paycheck. (laughs) Thank you for the plug, young man. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm here to help. (laughs) The other thing that's nice about the Kickstarter you're putting up is that when it ends, the book's ready and it ships. Oh, yeah. We're all done. Like, everything's already formatted. We've already got the files at the printer being test printed. Like, everything's set. Um, as if we hit a stretch goal, we might add some stuff to the book. So there might be a revision, but like the core of it that we're ready to send out is ready to send out. Perfect. So what else is going on in shaded areas at this point? Shaded areas has been a little bit of a lull. I had trouble. I had it going in a lot of different directions. I've had trouble monetizing it. So I'm trying to rework things now. So they're a little bit more unified, but then of course I started writing a novel. So I've been a little distracted because now I am trying to edit the novel and I've hired a wonderful editor slash mentor to work me through that process because it's not my specialty. And Ellen Brock has been absolutely fantastic. Um, and that's what I'm focusing on for the next week or two. And then I have a video project for the uh, creativity mentoring that I do where I want to put some of the common information that I constantly have to uh, walk creators through, like uh, writer's blocks and, and 
um, creativity versus productivity and, you know, mental illness constructs and how to get yourself working, even if you're uh, still struggling with some other conflicting internal information. Um, so I'm putting my psychology degree with to good use with that stuff. And I'm doing some interviews along those lines. But uh, I have a lot of little things rolling along. They should all launch within the next six months. It's just a timing game of figuring out which one's ready when. Well, I'm glad you're taking some time off to relax. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling somebody earlier that, like, I can spend 12 hours working on commissions, and then, like, I finish those, and I'm exhausted, so I'll sit down in front of YouTube and take my sketchbook out. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't have an off switch. It's not a thing. And, of course, right now we're heading into convention season. Yes. And I'm trying to focus my attention's there. I want to, I have a children's picture book or I, I don't know if it's a children's picture book an all ages picture book that I'm trying to get done in time for June. Um, so I can have it with me on the circuit and I want to do six new postcard size illustrations that are like more cartoony, iconic female characters. Um, a set of PG 13 male pinups, six of those, because I haven't done a new set of those in a while. And then a, I want to do six image series of, female superheroes hanging out at coffee shops together. So like the, the one that started was Antia P from wonder woman and, uh, Okie from, um, black Panther, the two, uh, warrior generals. I want them just hanging out at a coffee shop, drinking coffee. And then I want to do like six more pairings of different characters. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the new Starbucks series coming up. Yeah. Well, I figured like, I have a big problem where I tend to do narrative images. So like when people are flipping through the books quickly, sometimes, jumping from story to story and the single giant posters, they have trouble internalizing it. Like I've had people go right past my Firefly thing while they're wearing a Firefly shirt because they didn't quickly enough notice that it was Firefly. Um, so now I'm trying to like theme these images. So I have like the six pinups will be very similar and the six coffee shop shots will be very similar, but they'll just have different focal characters. So that way, like the narrative won't have to be redefined with every page flip. They can get a quick understanding of what they're looking at. And then it's just a matter of if the characters connect with them or not. So we'll see if that works better. What are, what are your big conventions? Or what are you booked for at this point? Uh, we have Terrific Con and Boston Comic Con, which Boston Comic Con was a little bit of a gamble based on the new owners. But so far, we're doing okay. But a lot of that's manipulation on our part. Um, like You Terrific. manipulate? No way. <laughs> uh, that's a whole story I, I, I don't think I should talk about on air. But uh, I'll have to tell you about it later because it's a great story. <laughs> But uh, we're doing Terrificon because we love Terrificon, and Mitch always puts together a good show. And with me not liking nature, like just the idea of having my room, the convention, all the restaurants and bars I could want, and like all my friends in one building without ever having to see the sun for four days is just brilliantly perfect every time. Um, <laughs> it does sound like your type of situation. <laughs> it absolutely is. Uh, then we have uh, the Small Press Expo in Bethesda, which we have just locked in. Um, Mecaf, which we just locked in, and I feel like there's one more that I'm missing, and I cannot remember what it is right now. But oh, I think we might. We, I think we're talking about doing the uh, the other Comic Con in Connecticut at a casino, the Foxwoods one. I can't remember which one that is, but I think we're we're putting that on the plate as a possibility. Cool. Yeah. All right. So you're gonna have a long, long, long summer. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> August. No, June, August, and September are just going to be like beats. I'm going to have that little July break to kind of reset things, so that'll be nice, but it's going to be rough. Well, I, look, I want to I thank you for, uh, you know, the very wonderful uh, inclusion that you brought for uh, My Peculiar Family too, and for taking the chance to do it because, uh, you know, it's always, it's always chancy to take someone who's not a writer or doesn't consider themselves to be a writer yeah, and, and, you know, drop them into that situation. In the first book, I had three people, one of whom was George, who simply did not think of themselves at all as writers huh. and, and dropped them in. And it worked out so well that they're actually, and I'm not telling you who they are, but there are four in this one. So nice. <laughs> Spreading out the gamble, liking it. And yeah, well, you know, it's it's something that's worked every time we've tried it. So I'm really, really happy with it. I'm really, really happy uh, for the 10 years that 
we've known each other and 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 yeah. the projects that we we've worked on together and you, you know the most fun I had with you was last year at at Granite Con sharing a table with you for two days. That was a good time. <laughs> Absolutely, the weirdest time in my. <laughs> And if I that woman came up and stole it. things from the table one more time, I was just going to keep laughing. I wasn't going to do anything. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I was just literally out of the hospital at that point. So oh, I wasn't yeah. even sure if I was going to make it through the convention. And I'm just watching this weirdness going on around me. And <laughs> you're sitting next to me. And it was bizarre. And I loved it. And and I love you. And uh, thank you for being a friend of the the show. And uh, for working together with us for 10 years, it's Griffin-esque, guys, and he's amazing. Join him on you guys too, but I still think we should see other people. Join him on the baby Kickstarter. Join him at Shaded Areas. Uh, And if you want to see what he can do, pick out that that reward on our Kickstarter and tell him. After a while. How many times have I heard you say that at a convention? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't disappointed yet. <laughs> and at that point, Kriana, is it time for news? Kriana? I'll, I'll form a search party. We can get it. We'll find her. It's fine. <laughs> Zombre, can you do the news intro? Thank you, Zombrarian. Which now brings us to the news portion of the show, which frankly we haven't done in about a month. So I know that Java's been wanting to talk about some stuff for a while, uh, not the least of which is uh, Star Trek Discovery. Nah. Nah? Nah. Nah. I've got a great rumor about Star Trek Discovery. What's what what what's Star Trek Discovery? <laughs> the rumor is that when the season for season one ended, uh, the viewership to for uh, the CBS paywall dropped by seventy percent. Yeah, it's the it was the only reason to to pay for the stupid thing, and the vast majority of people who watched didn't pay for it. <laughs> there's that too which so, i mean i mean i like you know whatever you want to say about content and paying for content and what that actually ends up meaning but it, the i think that the the writing is on the wall or actually the writing is on the paywall well there get, you go get rid of the paywall and and then things will be better like there's no reason to to put this show the entire show behind a paywall that doesn't make any sense if you want, if you want people to watch it, put it out there. If you can't afford to make the show without a paywall, then you should figure out how to make the show with more better with less money. It's 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 a weird situation. I was I was talking to some uh, friends who are huge Star Trek addicts, and they've seen two or three articles saying that they're rushing production for season two. To get it started as quickly as possible, because otherwise the finance for the paywall is simply going to collapse. Yeah, it's stupid. It's a stupid situation they shouldn't have gotten themselves into. They should have done it better. They should have been smarter, but they weren't. So, I I think we've been saying that for a while too. I've I've given up on expecting to be people to be smarter. Meanwhile, in superhero news, the Avengers movie is next two weeks. Yeah. And, and Black Panther. Black Panther ate it up, like, just absolutely destroyed everything. Wonderful. Duh. Yeah, I know. Who Like, seriously, was anyone surprised? Oh, my gosh. We've got a cast full of African-American actors that kick ass, and they do badass shit, and then... Like it's a superhero. What the f- is is anybody surprised? No. I I think a lot of pe- a lot more people were surprised than you think, because you know, every every pundit is telling you that the superhero movie, the superhero television, is is just oversaturated. 
and there's too much of it, and it, nothing's good anymore. And then Black Panther comes out and just blows the world away. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, that's not because the market isn't oversaturated. That's because it's a great movie. And you know, you know, like it's still an oversaturated market. But the, the people don't. People, this is this is a weird thing that I don't think that people understand. Like, people don't not go to movies, right? People don't not go to movies. People still go to movies. Yeah, I mean, of course they do. Especially because of Movie Pass. I mean, damn. Damn. Movie Pass? <laughs> 650 a month and I can go to all the movies? Um, Absolutely. I am there. Like that doesn't like <laughs> that's exactly what movies needed in order to survive so that I can pay uh, I like I walk into the theater and I buy popcorn. You know how long it's been since I bought popcorn in a movie? Well, yeah, I don't have an extra ten bucks to drop on popcorn. I, I sneak in my my big box of box of dots from the dollar store, and I watch the movie. You know, like I, I put on my Jinko jeans from the nineties, and I watch the movie with my big candy box that I bought at the. It, the but like, um, <laughs> movie pass changes everything, and um, like not only that, but. Black Panther was an awesome movie. Like, it's not... Su superhero movies are not something separate. Like, a, a separate thing. You can have a superhero movie and another superhero movie and guess guess which one is going to do better? The better the movie. The better movie. Yeah. Like, it's not... <laughs> it's not rocket surgery here. Well, it, it kind of is for because there's an awful lot of people who still don't seem to understand... That a good movie will always do well, and a bad movie won't. If you look at, you know, Netflix is just grinding out 14-episode series, 10-episode series uh, of, of Marvel stuff. And the big complaint with uh, Jessica Jones Season 2 was it wasn't as good as Season 1. I don't know that that's even a valid comparison. Yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm excited for Avengers. Ooh, it's a Thanos movie. It's it's probably going to be a good movie. That's cool. Yeah, no, I hope it's going to be a good movie. I, I hope I hope that they learn by things like Iron Man two, as well as learning by Black Panther. Yeah. That a good movie, well executed, well written, and well developed, will sell when you don't slide through it. And oh, and you also stuff. don't have to have the white guy be the hero. You clearly don't, not anymore. And I mean, it, in in comic book movies, it's about time that lesson got learned, and Black Panther showed that very well. It's just it, it's one of those it's one of those things where Hollywood just doesn't it doesn't believe it. Like there's some there's some stupidity ingrained in Hollywood that says I know better than you. Which I think it's the same situation that says female superheroes don't sell. Yeah, it's it, it, we're hopefully that I don't know. I'm done talking about Marvel. Can we talk about Ready Player One? Oh, boy, can we. I'm so yeah, I mean, nervous. I, I, I haven't seen it yet. Are we going to talk about it? I still haven't seen it. We can talk about I'm it. I'm scared because the, I got to admit to you, the, the, the trailers I've seen seem to not, I don't know. I haven't watched any of the trailers because I don't watch trailers. But um, I'm... Uh, People have opinions, and we could talk about the other people's opinions, or we could wait and have our own opinions. I'm going to go see it at some point. Java, I'm going to tell you the one part that really bugged me about the trailer. Go for it. And then you can try to figure out what it is that bugs me about it, and then I'll tell you. Okay. If you, if you get it right, I won't tell you, because you'll <laughs> have already known. Um, so, there's, like, this small 
split second bit in the trailer where there's a King Kong type character crushing in the oasis and it's crushing buildings and knocking things down and then it like throws its arms down and it screams and it smash cuts to this adorable little blonde girl screaming in her room wearing her little rig and so obviously the implication is she is that King Kong character quick what is my problem with that Um. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead, tell if us. We ex- if we extrapolate from the world of the book, in which says you get a basic character, if if you get a basic character and you get some very basic things, and then everything else costs money, right? Right. right. Imagine how much money those that kid's parents spent on turning her into freaking King Kong. Hey man. And she's like four. There's no there is no price that you can put on the joy of a child. Java, would you <laughs> That's bullshit. You can put a price on the joy of a child. My my kid is happy with a cardboard box. You know how much that cost me? Nothing free shipping from Prime. <laughs> and to me, that one little moment just shows like a misunderstanding of the world of the book. Yeah, I guess, but I mean, and it, a it, misunderstanding of gamer cultural culture in general. I don't know. Um, I don't think so. The, like you got you got whales, right? And that's why free to play is still <clears throat> a viable business model. Um, so so like. Y- some parent, it, it, I don't know. I don't know that it breaks anything for me. I, well, and who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll fix it by in the movie. The story is this is like a program that parents can buy so their kids can have tantrums and express their emotions in a way that is not destroying their house. Yeah, maybe I would pay for that. I don't, uh, many parents would. <laughs> nah, it's easier to parent and then deal, you know teach your child how to deal with their emotions yeah Um, again within the context of that society that they've built up in ready player one um the majority of life happens in the oasis yeah i don't know like when i contrast it to to other other books like i really enjoyed ready player one i thought it was great it was a i read it in the summer it was like hey it's summer i'm gonna read this book oh it's nostalgia blah 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 it was a complete nostalgia trip on purpose that's yeah. The way it's written. Oh, yeah fine i'm totally on board with that i can do that it's like you know i don't know the magicians <sighs> magicians is not a good show i like it anyway <laughs> no, but i love it, it. <laughs> it's stupid it's a stupid so show it's a it, it is the it, it is the nerd equivalent of uh, soap opera, and I am totally on board. It's um, like how I feel about Nicolas Cage movies. They're awful, but man, are they fun! <laughs> man, you, do you mean to tell me that the founding fathers ate pizza <laughs> with Leonardo da Vinci in the basement of the Capitol, and that's how they built the massive machine that keeps the uh, Illuminati stone? Safe from intruders? Uh, uh, where do I give you my movie pass? Like, yes. Oh. I will watch that movie, yes. Can you remake it in 3D, please? If you watch the background of that movie, at least the first one, all of the extras are wearing red, red white, and blue. <laughs> it's just, you know, okay. So... I, I'll, I'm excited for Ready Player One. I'll let it go. I mean, heck, you know, whatever. Well, I'll watch it. It's. It, I'll watch any movie now that I have Movie Pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are you a walking commercial? I'm just saying, Movie Pass is amazing. I, I walk, should get one for at least this month because there's just for, a whole bunch of movies, right? Well, and for my job, I really need to see Wrinkle in Time and Love Simon. Yeah, and Ready Player One, and probably and the new, Infinity. and I need to see Infinity War, and yeah, like and Isle of Dogs, probably. Yeah, probably. Wes, Wes Anderson. 
It's a Wes, tortured life we leave, isn't it? Wes Wes Anderson is just like kind of what you do now, right? Like you just kind of got to see it. How how well, can you how can you go to a dinner party with a whole bunch of other mid thirty something asshats without having seen the latest? Like, can you imagine what it would have been like going over to Sarah's uh, themed cupcake party without having seen Grand Budapest Hotel? I mean, come on. I mean, I did. I did manage to fake my way through Jessica's craft beer tasting <laughs> with without having seen Moonrise Kingdom in its entirety. <laughs> this is but my I don't, life. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it again, Java. I, I don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> Dome's sitting over there like, what the hell are they talking about? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's one of those where I go, honest to God. Don't fucking care. But that's just me. <laughs> oh, it's a tortured life you guys leave. I'm just but, saying. Uh, I'm just saying. There's a kombucha party coming up, and I just, <laughs> I, I've got to bone up on Malawa because how, how, how else am I going to have a conversation? Well, then you got to watch the latest. Uh, my next guest is on Netflix because she's on it with Letterman. Yeah, I know, right? Did you see? <laughs> Don't Moana? get it mixed up with Moana because then you have to no. sit through a sensitivity training. Man, I love. <laughs> <laughs> Although people will tell you also how much they love Moana when they w- when she put the stone back in the island's chest. Man, I was just like I was bawling. I, I was will so, admit, I was so moved. I can't believe that she had such a hard life. <laughs> Java, don't mock me. I legitimately cry every time I watch. Every time. Moana. Every yes. time. I'm not mocking you. I am abs. I'm right there. Oh my gosh! When her and her grandmother and I'm just sitting there like <laughs> her heart. I'll tell you what, though. Um, there are so many things that are that 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 we do have to we we could talk about in the news segment, um, just because there's so much going on. Summer blockbusters are coming up. We you know we've got all this stuff and movie pass and whatnot. Oh shoot, that means summer reading is coming up. Summer reading is coming up. You got to be ready. Like and the thing the thing that I think is really interesting <clears throat> here is um, w- one of the things that I noticed today specifically today um, because it's brand new news is um, that Hulu passed on the, a lock and key television show. Unbelievable. Really? How many times is this um, lock and key show not going to happen? This is like the I third have to time, open isn't my it? veins and sacrifice myself to, you know, Joe Hill. Like, I, I and, and like when is Gabriel Rodriguez's like amazing art going to be co- come come to the the small screen? When am I going to see it? It's no, free. you know what happened. Hulu looked around at the world and said, you know what? Netflix can do this better. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. You know what's really going to happen? We are going to let Netflix take this. What's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to, it's going to get picked up by Amazon and it's going to be turned into a Riverdale spoof. It's going to be, it's going to be all about the teenage angst. Which makes sense because that's what it's about. But like, yeah. I mean, it's super dark and weird, and they're gonna rip all of that out, and it's gonna be kind of shitty. And but I don't want that. I don't Java, want Amazon if, to touch it. If Netflix gets it, they could do a Stranger Things lock and key crossover. Net- Netflix already passed on it, though. Netflix is idiots. Yeah, Netflix <laughs> passed on it. Apple's never gonna not gonna do it. They're they're no, they can't. They don't new. do dark. Well, they could do dark. They, they 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 their thing is just too new. They're not gonna risk it, which I understand. But like, I mean, really, Hulu w- wasn't a good choice. But Amazon is a worse choice. And yeah, I'm just, Hulu I'm was just... the second choice because at least they did um, Handmaid's Tale well. So we know they can do dark and creepy based on a they can but literary they format. To. Hey, listen, we're talking about. Uh, uh, books for summer reading next week on the show. <gasps> writer Tom Snagoski joins <laughs> us to talk about his brand new book coming out, The Atomic Frenchie. That was my Tom Snagoski fangirl screen. I know. Don't miss it, guys. It's going to be real fun. Meanwhile, hit the theme, Kriana. 
or somebody just hit Kriana. Sci-Fi Saturday Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, Live with Your Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, and Kickstarter for Live with Your Family 2. It's really not the names. Check it out. Our intro music production is by Rob Potts. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard. Kriana and the music just went off for some reason. Our woman of words, Zombrian. Thank you so much for joining us. It went off because soundboard crashed. Wait, hold on. In the Rolling Hills of Grain, thank you for the fish, Java. Want to thank our guests. Java's playing the ukulele, everyone. Run, run while you can. It's not. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Enjoy the chaos, everyone. Everyone just yeah, say, I know, in different voices. I okay, know. Betty? I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know.